Welcome to Conservative One, the podcast defending traditions and freedoms with George Christensen. Never give in. Never give in. Never, never, never. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. Socialists don't like ordinary people choosing, for they might not choose socialism. We cannot afford to be so politically correct anymore conservative one good day this is george christensen host of the conservative one podcast and academic freedom is a very important thing i mean universities are supposed to be the bastions of free speech we expect there's going to be a debate and contest of ideas at our universities i mean after all that's how we thrash out what the truth is but it seems as time goes by, what we have is uh, academia, the academic elite, wanting to stamp out any form of dissent, and particularly when it comes to matters environmental. If you disagree with the so-called orthodoxy on anthropogenic climate change, you're a denier. Uh, you you know you believe in bogus science, or you don't believe in the science at all, and you're ostracised. Uh, my Late good friend, Professor Bob Carter, was certainly uh, put into that column, sadly. And uh, he was a professor, an adjunct professor at JCU. And I'm joined actually by another professor at JCU, James Cook University, based up in North Queensland, who has been under attack from the same academic elite that want to silence him about his criticisms around the science regarding the Great Barrier Reef. Uh, Professor Ridd, while I don't want to uh, shorten his arguments, uh, certainly has some dispute around uh, whether or not the stuff we're being told about impacts on the reef, reef, either of climate change or, you know, farming practices and all the rest of it, actually have that much of a detrimental impact as they're made out to have. So it's great to be joined with Professor Peter Ridd for this episode of Conservative One. He is under attack. He is uh, being thrust before the courts again to uh, basically, it's an appeal. Uh, There was a decision already that was in Peter Ed's favour. And that that decision was that he had academic freedom, that he had the ability, as per his uh, enterprise agreement with his employer, that he could speak out and talk on uh, on matters that uh, related to his role as a professor. But the university says no, It's all got to be about the code word collegiality, uh, which is just another word from do not depart from the groupthink. So, Peter, how are you going? Very well, thank you. Um, We're waiting for the court decision to see whether James Cook University's appeal will be successful and whether or not they will manage to stamp out academic freedom for once and for all. Can you give it to me in a nutshell? What, What is the actual dispute that JCU has with you. What do they they actually disagree with you doing or saying? They disagreed with whether or not I should be allowed to say that our science institutions that work on the Great Barrier Reef have systematic quality assurance problems, which I believe they do and which I stated and James Cook University said, you are not allowed to say that. So what institutions are they? Uh, the Australian Institute of the Marine Science and, in fact, the James Cook University uh, Centre for Coral Reef Studies. I've shown again and again how their work is not properly checked, uh, where they've made lots and lots of errors. 
where they've failed to even investigate really serious problems like possible scientific fraud. These are the sorts of things which I've been saying is a problem and apparently I'm not allowed to say that and I lost my job because of it. They sacked you. They basically said, sorry, that this is uh, departs from the group think. We can't have you talking out against uh, university, other university professors. Yep. So you're out. That's essentially what they did. That's exactly what it is. And uh, Judge Vasta said, no, you were wrong. Uh, and now university is appealing that. So they yeah. really want to get it. It's about power. It's about making sure that the professoriate, uh, the lecturers do not say things that the, the people in the administration of the university uh, don't agree with. So, you know, what you said, though, is clearly true. I mean, there was front page articles about a professor, and I can't remember her name, but we won't mention it, uh, but, but the professor who's now gone over to Europe, she's dropped science altogether, and her paper was riddled with inaccuracies um, and uh, potential fraudulent uh, work. So uh, it is proven that there has been fraudulent work that's popped out of JCU. Was she associated with that Coral Research Centre? She was. The, the stuff that was pro- proven wasn't actually from JCU. It was from stuff that she did shortly after. But there's equally some extremely dubious uh, data, if you want a, uh, a better word for it, and JCU have not even investigated or at least not uh, uncovered the investigation they've done on her. So there's lots of information indicating that these institutions need to do a lot better in terms of their quality assurance. Yeah. And just, just you know, why shouldn't somebody be able to say, look, I, I've got problems with what you, you guys are doing and how you're doing it. It might actually be true. You know, you've got to actually consider this possibility. Mm. So... so- Essentially, the university tries to claim that it still uh, supports free speech. It yes. still supports academic freedom. So, what sort of what's the what's the defined space that they will allow this free thought in if they don't allow criticism of uh, uh, other academics that it, have different ideas? Right. It's got to be done in a respectful manner. Well, now that? that's that sounds reasonable. Oh, you've got to be respectful. And I am respectful. I do respect these people, but I just think that they're not being careful enough in their work. The problem with respect is that who defines it? In this case, it's the university that defines it. Now, if you say to somebody, your work is wrong, then they may actually think that I'm not treating them with enough respect, right? Because I've actually damaged their reputation. You actually damage their reputations by saying you've made a mistake, you've got it wrong. Mm. Now, if damaging somebody's reputation is not regarded as respectful, then you cannot criticise anything. And so the bar is set very, very low. Now, what actually um, in what we're arguing is that the provided you don't harass, intimidate, bully or vilify, provided you don't do those terrible things, more or less you should be able to say anything you like. Mm. And that's what we're arguing. That's what's in our work agreement. But JCU is saying, no, you've got to be collegial. You've got to be respectful. And we will decide whether you are respectful or collegial. In other words, they're the judge, jury and executioner. They mm. can stop you saying anything you like. they like. So as you said before, Judge Vasta ruled in your favour, ruled against JCU, said that they had breached the uh, enterprise agreement that they had with you, which contained clauses that pertain to academic freedom. JCU is appealing that in the federal court. Um, we won't go into that matter because it's before the court at the moment, yep. The the, yep. the details of what's happening in the court. But uh, do you see this will be the end of it or do you think that no. it will probably go higher? 
if we win, I think that JCU will probably take it to the high court. Mm. Um, and I think that a lot of the other universities are cheering them to win because they also want control over their academics. Uh, and uh, this is one of the sad things, that you actually have the university arguing that it effectively is not a university because it does not actually have academic freedom. This is like a David and Goliath case. I mean, the university is just uh, pumped with funding, some of it taxpayer funding, of course. Most of it taxpayer. Most of it taxpayer funding. How have you managed to withstand the uh, psychological, emotional pressure and financial stress of all of this? Well, the emotional is a whole lot of people have rallied around, including you, George, and a lot of people around this table. Financially, we've had thousands of donors. We've had to raise $850,000 worth of legal fees. It's cost me personally $300,000. James Cook University just goes to you, George, and gets you to pay for it. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm sorry about that. No, I know. Um, I know. You know, and we actually are going to have to fix that because uh, if these universities want to be universities and want to get Commonwealth-supported places, then they've got to play the role of a university as far as I'm concerned, and that is that you've got to be a place where ideas are freely debated, where uh, people can be challenged, particularly their work can be challenged because, as I said at the start of this, if you don't have that, you don't have the contest of ideas and you don't thrash out what the truth is. No, exactly. And, look, I understand from the point of view of the federal government, they don't want, you don't want to actually start meddling in universities' activities. They are supposed to be independent. The problem is that they're meddling, their academic elite are then meddling in the freedom yeah. of individual professors and individual students. We're seeing that elsewhere too. Exactly. It's not just JCU. JCU is by no means the worst place for this. There's all univer- Most universities are in this position. So in my view, if a, if a university is like JCU, obviously against academic freedom, then it by definition is not a university mm. and it should be defunded. There should be a phone call to the Vice-Chancellor saying, I'm very, very sorry, but you're not a university anymore. Yeah. You better fix it. Good luck with the Lamington Drive. You're listening to Conservative Wine. All right. Well, let's just say this gets to the High Court. This is what I would consider uh, then a, a extremely important case. I mean, academic freedom is something that, at the very least, the government uh, states it supports. Um, yeah. And I'm sure sh- it does. Should, should, sure. should we then ensure that there is... Uh, Public, there's a, actually in the Attorney General's department in his budget, there is contained funding for very important test cases. This would be a very important test case around academic freedom. Would you hope that the government would swing behind you should this go before the High Court? Uh, I, I would hope that somehow, yes, I do. Uh, I mean, one way or other, we need the cash if this happens to be able to pay very good lawyers to fight this very important case. So, yeah. And should the government join the case if it goes before the High Court? Well, I would have thought it should. I would have thought, look, I'm not a legal person, but I would have thought there's a thing called the interest. Does a, does a, yes. a body have an interest? Now, We're how can the them. government not have an interest in the way the whole academic system works? So I would have thought they should have a lawyer there saying, go go for it, mate. You've got to try to, to beat this because there's a very important principle All these other academics look at what happened to me and they'll say, there is no way known to man I'm going to go even close to the cliff edge that that guy walked off. And we've got to make, we've got to actually show the other academics that you can say things that are Mm. maybe even a little bit outrageous on occasions 
that you can go and you can say these things and, and you won't lose your job because we will protect you. Well, that's the important thing about free speech. It's obviously not free speech if you're not prepared to allow some of the outrageous things no. that people might want to say right. be said. Mm. Uh, you've, you've corralled it. So what happens in a world where, or in Australia where, Peter Ed loses a federal court case and then loses a high court case? What, 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 does, what, what plays out? Well, then there's, I mean, I don't think this, this should have been finished long ago. It's very easy to let, in fact, there's no legislation even needed. Within the TEXA, tertiary, uh, I've forgotten what it stands for, the Federal Education Minister can actually haul over universities uh, for not having academic freedom. The thing could have been stopped years ago. Mm. This shouldn't go to the High Court. The High Court shouldn't be deciding legalities on academic freedom. This is for the People's Court, which is the Parliament, yeah. to decide, and they should decide, they should decide it right now and solve the problem. But on a matter, just the final thing on the court case and the legal arguments, you have an enterprise agreement. Yep. That enterprise agreement has got a clear clause in it. Do you remember the wording of it? Oh, probably I remember see it in exactly. Memory. Yes, what that's does it right. say? It says that the code of conduct shall not override academic freedom, but JCU is writing on a different statement that says academic that JCU is committed to academic freedom and in accordance with the code of conduct. So we are literally <laughs> arguing over two lines, See. and it will mean nothing to any other university because already that enterprise agreement is history. They're pulling it out. They're removing it's the already academic been, freedom. The one that I'm relying on is now no longer in the JCU agreement and no other Australian universities have it. In fact, most other universities have made it much, much easier in the last two years to make to remove academics like me. So even if I win, it means nothing mm. because we are arguing over a specific enterprise agreement at a specific university which no longer even exists. Yeah. So this is why it's important for the government to step in and say, Insurance we have back. had enough, right? Mm. If you want to be a university and get most of your funding from the federal government, this is what you've got to do and we will actually defund you if you don't. And you wouldn't have to because the council of the university would just get rid of the, the vice-chancellor or do whatever had to be done to make sure this didn't happen to the university. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, the upshot of what you've just said there is universities have now gone and removed yep. the free speech, the academic uh, freedom clause from their contracts yes. with uh, academics. Effectively. Uh, they, they'll say, oh, we've still got it, but they'll say, but you've got to obey the code of conduct, yeah. which means you've got to be respectful. And the university will decide what respectful is, which means there is no academic freedom. No academic can take the risk. But to clarify, JCU's position as at the time you were an employee, their uh, clauses in their EA say that the code of conduct cannot override your academic freedom, but at the same time they define academic freedom as anything said that's in accord with the code of conduct. Yes, that's right. That's you clear have, as mud. That's right. So that's what we're that's what we're reduced to. That's what we have spent well over a million dollars yeah. arguing. JCU's probably spent well over two million dollars arguing a totally pointless thing, which will have no great precedence in the long run anyway. Mm. Mm. Okay, well, let's get to the substance of some of the arguments that you've been making that have upset people. I mean, you have for a long time put forward uh, views which are contrarian to a lot of the other reef scientists, marine scientists that are out there who would paint a picture of doom and gloom for the Great Barrier Reef 
It's either dead, it's dying, it's on the verge of extinction, uh, all sorts of things uh, uh, are going to, to kill it. And certainly people overseas, that's all they hear about and all they think is happening with the reef. You've said something very different. What is your message about the health of the Great Barrier Reef? Well, my view is that reef is in fantastic shape. And, um, for example, if I just pull one of the issues about sediment, supposedly sediment coming from farms is smothering the reef. Uh, without being big-headed, I'm one of the experts on sediment. In fact, my group took, has taken more measurements of sediment than all we, the other re- the groups I, put together. Am I correct in saying you developed the we, yardstick? We, we, invented, we invented the equipment to measure it, right? Uh, and all our measurements say it does not get out to the reef. And yet all these people who are not experts are saying it's smothering the reef. You look at pesticides. Pesticides is in such small quantities on the, the Great Barrier Reef that even with the most amazingly accurate equipment that can measure to parts per billion billion, you cannot measure most of these pesticides on the reef and yet uh Farmers are blamed for killing the reef with pesticides. If you look at the growth rate of the reef, we know the growth rate of the reef of the actual corals for the last 400 years because it's like tree rings. You can drill a hole in a coral and you can measure this. We know it hasn't changed. In fact, it may have even increased over the last 400 years. These are just facts. Uh, And yet the scientific organisations, they have these consensus statements, they all get together and they they produce uh, these reports which supposedly say the reef is badly damaged. So these consensus statements, this is uh, what's touted by government to bring in policies which are, you know, putting restrictions on farmers, yep. whether they be cane farmers or graziers or horticulturalists. Uh, but the consensus is basically a political statement, isn't it? It, it is. It's a whole bunch of scientists who all come from the same sort of background who have excluded... Same school of thought. Same school of thought. They've excluded the likes of me or Piers Larkham or Bob Carter and I can name quite a few other... I won't name uh, many uh, other scientists because they're too scared to say, right? They exclude us and they say what they want to say and they have absolutely scared the living daylights out of the whole world. They've had little children crying in their beds because they think that uh, the reef will not be there in 10 years' time. It's an absolute disgrace because really the reef is in fantastic shape. I just wish people would come up to the reef and actually see it because it's so obvious that it's in good shape. So what about the other argument? I mean, we've had you run by the argument of of the uh, of sedimentary runoff caused from farms. Yep. The other great thing I hear is that climate change is killing the reef, which leads extreme green groups to go out to say coal mining's killing the reef. Yep. Um, what is your view on the impact of so-called anthropogenic climate change on the Great Barrier Reef? Well, in terms of the temperature, there is no doubt that when things get very, very hot periodically, a bit of coral will bleach and some of it, a very small amount, will die. Um, But overall, in fact, as temperatures warm, coral grows faster. This is an absolutely well-recognised fact. The fastest-growing coral is actually in the North Great Barrier Reef where it's warmer. The slowest is in the south. If you want really fast coral, you go to Indonesia and Thailand where it's one or two degrees hotter. Same corals, they grow about twice as fast as southern Queensland corals do. Mm. So a little bit of temperature change, you know, one degree, two degrees, three degrees is going to be good. There is a question mark, though, about the effect of carbon dioxide directly, whether it changes the acidity or... Mm. sort of like the acidity of the water, that may have an effect, but we've got a long way to go on that uh, mm. that work. Mm. So why do you think then there is such, like climate change science, there's so, so much alarmism about it, why do you think that everything we hear about 
uh, the Great Barrier Reef's health is just so apocalyptic in nature. Because we've essentially got a huge problem with our scientific institutions. They've been taken over by one particular group. They've excluded all the other groups because the whole process of peer review is one of exclusion. Uh, you have to be one of the peer group to be in, and if you're not in, you're out. And then that means that one particular view predominates. Uh, if you want funding, you've got to have a problem. And this is why we have the problem we have. We actually have a crisis in our scientific institutions, not a climate crisis. So uh, to drill down that a bit further, I mean, what is driving that group? And it's difficult, I guess, to put that on you because you're not in that group, but you must have some thoughts about why that group persists in that argument. Well, they actually believe what they're saying. They do believe that the, end, the, the planet is, is ending. Uh, they do believe that the reef is, is damaged. They're emotionally attached in many cases. Mm. Most of them are not proper hard scientists in the, in the mould of Einstein or Newton. Uh, and they've all got, to get, all got together, somewhat like a whole bunch of 15-year-old schoolgirls, and they've got themselves <laughs> scared, and they've taken over the institutions, and this is why we have the problem. What happens when these people are exposed? Those facts, like the facts that you went through at the start uh, when I led into this part of the discussion, all of those facts have to be plain to see from measurements and data. Yeah. What happens when these people who are obviously ideologues on this are confronted with the facts that oppose what they think? They just ignore it. And they can, you see, because they are in the majority. They control the, all the processes. So, for example, the so-called consensus statement on the reef ignores the fact that there is no sediment on the Great Barrier Reef from rivers, right? It just ignores it. Other things, it actually quotes work as the opposite for what it actually is. Some of the stuff is incredibly bad, right? But they can ignore it because nobody will ever check them. And this is why I'm arguing for this science checking organisation, because if you know you're going to be checked, you can't get away with that sort of thing. Farmers throughout Queensland and North Queensland in particular are often demonised as being reef vandals, yep. environmental vandals, uh, what do you think about um, what our farmers have been doing in recent years uh, in terms of reef health? Well, actually, in terms of reef health, um, even though they've massively improved what they've done environmentally, it's had no effect on reef health because the reef is fine in the first place. But what they've done has been tremendous in terms of protecting the rivers, uh, some of the estuaries, They've reduced a runoff of all sorts of things. They've trash blanketed. They've done lots of things. It hasn't affected the reef because even before, when the uh, practices weren't too good, they weren't affecting the reef. But they have managed to improve lots and lots of uh, sort of smaller nearshore and uh, terrestrial ecosystems. Well, look, thank you very much, uh, Professor Peter Ridd. It's been a pleasure to be talking with you about uh, both academic freedom and reef science. Uh, I can only hope and I suspect on behalf of many listeners that are hearing this podcast that uh, that you are very successful in your legal endeavours. Um, we need you to win because we need academic freedom in this country, so more power to you. Thanks very much. We will decide who comes to this country and the circumstances in which they come. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. You've been listening to the Conservative One Podcast with George Christensen.